Hey there, it's Sound and Groove Podcast. Welcome back to what is officially the first episode of 2017. I know we're uh, pretty late in the going here, but uh, there will be several episodes still to come, obviously, in the second half of the year. Uh, I want to deliver six to uh, find listeners out there, and that will start, officially, like I said, with this particular podcast. I call the 2017 February podcast. Yes, I know we're late for that. The next one will be April, you know, we'll go every two months official titles of it i mean in terms of identifying the uh, <laughs> the particular month of the year that it was intended for just sort of a binary thing don't really pay much attention to it what really you should listen to is the title of the episode that i'm going to give it this one our theme is songs of the celestial now we're talking about things out in space so we're talking about spaceships flying saucers comets asteroids meteors planets stars that being our sun, for example, moons, like our moon, <laughs> and uh, anything else that we see in the uh, wonderful tapestry that is the night sky or uh, you know, the sky in general, basically. Nothing that really just flies on Earth. We're not talking about, like, planes, necessarily. We're not talking about birds. It's stuff that's out there, out in the orb, past our atmosphere on Earth. Stuff out in uh, the solar system, the universe in general. You, you get my drift, right? So... That is why we are going to have some songs that, you know, tie into that or refer to it in the title, use it as a metaphor, whatever that may be. And I want to get to it off the hop with a tune from way back. Like, I don't usually play stuff that's so old that it is from the early days of magnetic tape, necessarily. You know, from before the days of multi-tracking. But it's 1935. It's Billie Holiday, of course, one of the most celebrated jazz, one of the most celebrated popular singers in the annals of contemporary American music. And this is really early in her career. She's barely over 20 when they were, this was recorded in July of 1935. It's a song called What a Little Moonlight Can Do, kind of a jaunty little thing, clarinet-driven, sort of. It's kind of in the big band era, but a little bit hearkening to the traditional jazz sound, too. Uh, she would later do a lot more, you know, across the spectrum of jazz in general. But anyway, this song came out in 1935. It was written by a songwriter named Harry M. Woods, and this was one of the first real popular versions of it, probably still signature uh, to uh, Billy Holiday, but you know, that's just my opinion. I want to pick up the song partway through, though, by the way, because uh, there's a long instrumental interlude to uh, kick off the song, and then Billy starts singing just over a minute in. So we'll get closer to where she kicks in with the vocals, and uh, yeah, that'll be that. <laughs> so I'll take a listen here on the Songs of the Celestial Sound of Groove podcast to Billy Holiday in 1935 in her younger days singing What a Little Moonlight Can Do. Here it is. Wait a while till little moonbeam comes peeping through. 
There's a wonderful old-timey number from 1935. It's Billie Holiday with What a Little Moonlight Can Do here in the Songs of the Celestial podcast. This is the first of two episodes, by the way, because the last time I did a theme for the previous episode, which was uh, delivered by mail, it was uh, just one. But this one, I'm going to have another one after this. So this is one of two episodes. Uh, boy, of uh, hopefully that gets excited. I just found that there were lots of possibilities to do with this theme, and uh, usually that means that I'm not going to just stick to it for one particular month's episode yay all right um and by the way that song uh billy holiday in the early days of her career she's accompanied by the teddy wilson orchestra or at least teddy wilson and his orchestra and it was recorded on july 2nd 1935 and um it was originally contributed to a film called roadhouse when it was written by harry m woods who had moved to london at the time and it was sung in a film by a singer named violet lorraine and uh yeah it's uh, had uh, versions over the years but Billie Billy Holiday can really just smash it out of the park compared to a lot of jazz singers. Just incredible feel for the songs, great expressive voice. Even though it was worn down years later by all the drug and alcohol abuse that you know curtailed her life, you can still hear the sort of uh, amazing uh, ability to capture the feeling in jazz. That it's just it's a hard thing to master. It's a lost art in some cases, but she really was one of the first to define the vocal style of that genre. And pop standards in general. She wasn't necessarily a pop singer, mind you. And, uh, you know, this was about 20-something years before her death. Anyway, let's go to another track here on this particular theme. We're going to go with something folkier, although jazz in its uh, sound and ways also, actually. It's a track called Saturday Sun by the British folk artist Nick Drake. And he came in the late 60s when an English folk sort of a boom was happening with Fairport Convention and Steel Eye Span coming out and all that. And uh, he was pretty much ignored almost uh, entirely during his career, and but later, you know, was revived and everything. And he put out only three albums, suffered from major depression, and he uh, died in 1974, was believed to be a suicidal, you know, an overdose on uh, antidepressant pills. But in the short time that he was a recording artist between 1969 and 72, he put out three albums called Five Leaves Left, Brighter Later, and Pink Moon, and this one, Saturday Sun, comes off that debut album, recorded throughout 68 and 69, and released in July of 1969. So here's Nick Drake with Saturday Sun on the Sound Group Podcast. Saturday sun came early one morning 
There was the wonderfully pastoral, very jazzy, especially with the chord changes, Nick Drake song, Saturday Sun, here on the Santa Group podcast. Uh, that comes as the closing track of his debut album, Five Leaves Left. It was followed in 1971 by Brighter Later. I don't even know how to pronounce it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then 1972, Pink Moon came out. And after that, he withdrew from the recording industry for a little bit. I mean, didn't do anything for the next couple of years. He rarely performed live or gave interviews or anything during his career. I was very shy and sort of um, reticent to that, and a lot of the live performances he gave were a bit awkward and kind of, you know, uh, misunderstood and everything like that, so he really didn't have a uh, stomach for that. And he also battled a lot of depression issues, as I said earlier, uh, which culminated in 1974, when at the age of 26 he uh, intentionally overdosed on uh, antidepressant medication and... uh, didn't quite make the Rock and Roll 27 Club, but he was close. Uh, he was only 20 when this debut album was recorded and came out, by the way, too. So just a young, uh, mercurial talent that a lot of people didn't recognize when it was going on. But, uh, you know, not a very viable commercial artist. But years later, people discovered his back catalog and were like, wow, this guy was unique. He was something different at the time in British music. And uh, nobody knew it then, but uh, everybody realized years later what uh, what he had uh, done, what he what he accomplished, or what, how interesting he was. But anyhow, get into Nick Drake if you like that kind of folky sound. Anyway, what else? So we're going to go on to a song called Galaxy. Yes, we're talking about something cosmic here. And it's by the funk slash, uh, I guess maybe you would call it Latin uh, R&B kind of group. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to describe the group War. And this is from 1977, like I say. They had debuted in 1978 as a backing group for Eric Burden, who was in The Animals, uh, where uh, I think it was Eric Burden declares war. It was kind of more of a jam, 
uh, centric kind of recording and uh, outlook when he so quote unquote discovered them and they uh, were a multiracial band by the way that uh, was co-credited on two albums with him and then broke broke out on their own had a lot of R&B hits of their own Cisco Kid Why Can't We Be Friends uh, Low Rider of course was a very popular one that came in the late seventies so. Let's play Galaxy, which uh, was the title track to the 10th studio album that War put out. And uh, here it is on the Sound of Group podcast. Take a listen to War. song Galaxy off that same album in 1977. Uh, this was coming off a period of a lot of success, R&B and pop chart-wise, for the uh, band War. 
breaking away from Eric Burden in 1970 when he left the group. They uh, really got going with the second album after Burden left them called All Day Music. And then The World is a Ghetto was one of the highest selling albums in 1973 and was a huge smash for them. Lots of uh, critical appraisal for it and also um, commercial success. They started to dwindle by the end of the 70s, but uh, they really uh, were an interesting blend of you know socially conscious lyrics and uh, messages and kind of a uh, real funky psychedelic grooving ability in the group. And, uh, yeah, quite a big band, multi-ethnic group. A lot of members in it and all that stuff, and they provided some great memories. World is a Ghetto is a tremendous song. Slipping into Darkness, like I said from earlier, Cisco Kid, Why Can't We Be Friends, Lowrider, Summer, Me and Baby Brother. They're a memorable group, uh, slew of hits they had. A Greatest Hits Collection does it justice. They had a few very good studio albums, but in, in general, they're one of those bands that's more of a uh, singles group. Sorry if you uh, take offense to that want to shoot me for it, but I'm sorry. I'm just saying, you know, they were great, but they weren't that great. <laughs> Anyhow, I like that song particularly. It goes on much longer than I play a snippet of, of course. It's over eight minutes. But anyhow, so apparently influenced by Star Wars. So, hey, that fits with our celestial theme a bit here, doesn't it? Next one we're going to play is called Stella by Starlight. This is one of the more famous standards uh, in popular music, I would say. And uh, this version is from 1961, but it's Tony Bennett who's uh, still going. It's unbelievable. I mean, the guy's got to be around 90 now. I don't know for sure. I'll double-check on it. But uh, he's uh, he's been at it for so many years. Ups and downs, definitely in his career. But this is a very uh, well-known standard written by a guy named Victory Young. And it was uh, drawn from a thematic material for the main title and soundtrack of a 1944 film called The Uninvited. And a couple years later, it had lyrics added by a guy named Ned Washington. And soon enough, it took off and being very popular with a lot of big bands and singers. Harry James and his orchestra uh, were one of the first to strike gold with it. You know, like Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and, of course, Tony here. Long considered to be one of the great voices of popular music. Let's get to it quickly here. How about that? Stella by Starlight, a cover by Tony Bennett from 1961 on the Sound of Group podcast. The song Robin sings Through years of endless springs The murmur of a brook At eventide That ripples by a nook where two lovers hide A great symphonic theme That's Stella by starlight And not a dream My heart And I agree She's everything on earth to me Thank you. 
All right, I hope you enjoyed that little swinging standard, Salad by Starlight, as sung by the incomparable Tony Bennett in his prime with his tremendous, powerful, uh, expressive voice. He uh, had a really huge hit, I think a year or two later, with I Left My Heart in San Francisco, and his uh, career really took off once again. But then in the late 60s, you know, the changing times and trends and patterns and everything kind of sunk his career, and he was reduced to, you know, covering rock standards and stuff. And it didn't really get much better in the 70s. You know, he really bottomed out commercially, privately, and personally. He had a cocaine addiction. And I believe his son was the one who took control of his dad's career and really uh, revived him in the 80s and 90s. And, uh, yeah, had one of the more unlikely comeback success stories for a pop singer. Anyway, so let's get to another song. Let's go a little different, a way different vein, actually, with some hip-hop. Modern, more modern stuff from 2004. It's Kanye West. And yeah, I know everybody talks about a megalomaniac he has and all other stuff about him, but some of his albums, particularly his early ones, are some of the great works in hip-hop, some of the great LPs, and they're really amazing albums in the long run, in the grand scope of things, no matter what you feel about rap, hip-hop, whatever. And this is a track called Spaceship, and it's from his debut album, The College Dropout, which is a tremendous work, you know. There were some hits from it and a lot of critical uh, approval and appraisal and stuff, and really that uh, most of that hasn't stopped. I mean, even Kanye's... Lot, you know, lesser regarded works are still pretty damn good albums. He really towers above a lot of his competition, and the music that he's able to bring into the uh, into his um, lyrics and rhymes, and of course all the samples he does are tremendous as well. The ones he uses, so yeah, that the, really there's plenty of other tracks worth seeking out from this album besides Spaceship. You know, Jesus Walks was a really uh, um, popular one, sort of like combining gospel, some kind of Gregorian chant gospel with it. All Falls Down is another great track that he collabor- uh, collaborated with Lauren Hill on. And yeah, College Dropout, it really started, sets the template for the innovative, uh, visionary kind of hip-hop of Kanye West, who, you know, his ego matches the grandiosity of some of his music. Let's not be, uh, let's not kid ourselves. But anyway, let's get to it on the Santa Group podcast, Celestial Bodies episode. It's Spaceship from Kanye West here on the Santa Group podcast right now. I've been working this great shift and I yeah, yeah. it. I wish I me could too. buy me a spaceship and fly. I swear I do. insults me again i will be assaulting him after i fuck the manager up then i'm gonna shorten the register up let's go back back to the gap look at my check wantin' no scratch so if i stole what am my fault yeah i stole never got caught they take me to the back and pat me asking me about some khakis but let some black people walk in i bet you they show off they token blackie Oh, now they love Kanye, let's put them all in the front of the store So I'm on break, next to the no-smoking sign with a blunt in them all Taking my hits, writing my hits, writing my rhymes, playing my mind This fucking job can't help them, so I quit, y'all welcome Y'all don't know my struggle, y'all can't match my hustle You can't catch my hustle, you can't fathom my love, dude Lock yourself in a room doing five beats a day for three summers That's a different world like three summers I deserve to do these numbers The kid that made that deserves that made back So many records in my basement I'm just waiting on my spaceship I've been 
There with Spaceship from Kanye West, uh, his uh, debut album, The College Graduate, is where you can find that one. And uh, yeah, so that's one of the several Kanye West songs that really stands out for its, uh, you know, incredible use of sampling and uh, R&B singing, and of course some of his own rapping. But you know, he used a lot of guests on that one, so it's not just him you hear. He's uh, he brings in all kinds of talents. You know, he's not just a sort of a one-man band type of thing, I guess. Anyhow, uh, let's go on to another track here on the uh, Celestial Bodies episode, or Celestial Songs, rather, episode. Here on the Public Broadcaster's Sound Groove Podcast. So, it's a number by a group called the Neville Brothers. Yes, of course, you know, based on the name, it's not just a name, they are brothers, they are family. The genesis of this group came in the mid-70s when they got together for a common friend and mentor of them, uh, one of the... Uh, Mardi Gras Indians, a prominent Mardi Gras Indian musician and shaman and whatnot in the New Orleans area, which the Nevilles are from, by the way, by the name of Chief Jolly, um, a.k.a. George Landry. He was one of the Mardi Gras Indians who were uh, kind of these, uh, you know, uh, Creole or African-American guys who dressed up like Native Americans and, you know, were part of the Mardi Gras parade starting in the 19th century. And they had their own customs and culture and music and stuff. And they got together and formed a band called the Wild Chapatulas in 1976. And they played together. Most of the Neville brothers were on that. And a couple of the Nevilles, I think it was Art and Cyril Neville, were in the Meters, who were a highly influential and highly used uh, backing group out of New Orleans. They kind of, you know, represented a whole style of funk music that was kind of really primitive and uh, shuffling along. It had a lot of, you know, owed a lot to New Orleans music over the years. 
uh, a little bit of jazz, mostly blues and mostly R&B and soul styles that had come out of that wonderful melting pot of music kind of city. And the Nevilles uh, then, at the end of the 70s, formed a group uh, with, with entailing all the members, entailing all the family, until the brothers anyhow. And that continued through the 80s, and they finally hit a creative stride with an album called Yellow Moon in 1989. And this is the title track from that album. It uh, featured a lot of uh, really interesting tracks and covers, and was produced by Dan Lenoir, the famed Canadian producer. And let's listen to the actual song, the title track off that album, as I've said. Here it is, Neville Brothers from 89 on the Sound of Groove podcast. Okay, Yellow Moon, there it was on the Sound of Group podcast, the Neville Brothers, a witching kind of, uh, you know, dark and brooding funk, I would say. Real interesting, though, and it's, it's almost a little bit psychedelic and uh, voodoo, you would say. And there even is a track on the album called Voodoo. I mean, this really explores a lot of different cultural and uh, mysticism aspects of New Orleans. 
A lot of uh, songs that were by other artists. They do a Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke. They do a couple Bob Dylan tracks from uh, Times They Are Changing, album 63. You know, hymns or uh, these sort of traditional numbers like Will the Circle Be Unbroken. But they have their own tracks they wrote. And like I said, Daniel Lenoir produced it and gave it his atmospheric, smoky sound that he is known for, having uh, come to prominence by then for producing The Joshua Tree by U2. And uh, that would sort of... Start a string of uh, acclaimed albums that he produced and sort of put his own uh, signature sound on that, you know, for better or worse, was his calling card, studio-wise. But uh, he was a musician himself, so he could always lend a hand, and he did that on this album with, you know, some usual uh, sidemen that he'd used, like Brian Eno, who he'd helped produce, I think he co-produced The Unforgettable Fire, the U2 album in 84 with, and of course he got the Nevilles, Aaron, Art, Charles, Cyril, and Aaron, of course, is the lead singer on that one, too. He's the one with the high voice and got real famous for singing with Linda Ronstadt. But he'd had hits years earlier, like Tell It Like It Is, a very you know, commonly played and uh, cherished oldie from 1966, I want to say. And, uh, yeah, uh, Lenoir himself used a lot of the same people that were on this album, that showed up on this album. A couple of the Nevilles, I think Malcolm Byrne. Uh, and Willie Green and Tony Hall, who eventually became a longtime bass player for the aforementioned guy, or for the guy I'm going to mention, that being Bob Dylan, and his sort of critical mini comeback later that year called uh, Oh Mercy. Anyway, so there you go. You got a bit of a background on that particular album, Lenoir, the Lenoir universe that goes around it, and we are talking about celestial bodies, aren't we? So now we're going to go to a song from everybody's favorite alt-rock genius gods, whatever you want to call them. I mean, maybe it's a little bit lavish, the praise, but they're huge and they're revered for their innovations and flying in the face of convention here in the 90s, even when they were supposed to be the all-star arena rock kind of group coming out of the UK and the Brit rock movement. I'm talking about Radiohead. Now, they had sort of a one-off hit that people, well, people wanted to call it that with the song Creep in 1993 that even struck a bit of a uh, chart dent in the United States and they came, they became well known for that. And that was in 1993 and the uh, accompanying album Pablo Honey was more popular in the UK. And then the Benz came out. Uh, it was a little more popular album-wise than Pablo Honey in the US and even bigger in the UK and they were sort of regarded as one of the great revival heavy guitar bands. But there was sort of a moody, I don't want to say emo kind of thing to them, sort of a, a real inclination to look at depressive aspects of the world. But it wasn't quite as pronounced in that album as it would become an OK Computer and then sort of didn't go, you know, really quite hint at how dark it could get on Kid A in 2000. But here in 1995 on The Bends, they explored uh, more unsettling territory. And Tom, Tom York got a little bit more of his angst channeled in a different direction than it had been on Pablo Honey, where they were kind of, you know, more of a grungy-sounding act. And they really amped up sort of the drama, and the production was... Some people called it overblown for this album, but it uh, it sounded like arena rock that had it was really impassioned and had a lot of different... I mean, arena rock is kind of a term that says big, loud, boisterous sound. But unlike Oasis, there wasn't quite a, this macho posturing going on and everything, too. Anyway, the Benz was highly regarded, in the UK especially, and uh, made for another difficult follow-up because the Radiohead was able to shed these sort of, uh, you know, pigeonholing that they had received while touring uh, after Creep became their breakthrough hit. But then, of course, they had to follow it up with something even better, and they did with OK Computer, of course, but that's another story. <laughs> anyway, this is the lead cut off that album, off the Benz. It's called Planet Telex. And, uh, yeah, well, that'll be the next song we get to here on the Sound of Group podcast episode. So let's take a listen to 1995 
Radiohead on the Benz doing Planet Telex here on the Sound of Group Podcast right now, folks. Telex from Radiohead right there for you. That's uh, sort of hints at where they were going on OK Computer, the more uh, detached kind of uh, postmodernism uh, outlook that they had. There's a lot more feedback and fuzzy guitar than you would hear on that album, but the Benz has a lot of that sort of uh, maybe a little bit of a over overblown in terms of like the noise of it all. It just hits you like a wall. At times the arrangements are great. At other times it just sort of sounds like it's trying to create a, a portal of noise at you. But uh, Radiohead really grew from their previous album, and then they grew even more on the next one, and I think they grew even more for the next one. But uh, I've really ne- I haven't really been knocked out by a lot of Radiohead since Kid A, but I guess it's like every one of their albums, when it comes up, people you know treat it like the mana from down, up high, and <laughs> I guess maybe I can consider them to be an overrated group. You know, I uh, have classifications like that, and 
I'll say that I think Radiohead's a bit overrated. Yeah, but I like them at the same time. I mean, I like some U2, but they're even more overrated. I mean, it's ridiculous how <laughs> Joshua Tree, they hit a peak, and then since then everybody's been, you know, like, goes down to their, you know, knees to pray, pray at their altar. And I don't really get it. And Bono, of course, doesn't help the situation, of course, being Bono. <laughs> but anyway, let's go. We'll not not talk about that. Let's move on. Here's the last track we're going to play in this episode. It's called Unfunky UFO from the great Parliament. You know, that was just basically the same as a, on diff- different labels. They were uh, two, two differently named bands. They were Parliament on one record label, uh, which was Casablanca. And then on the other one, I think, which was like... Westway or something. I can't remember the exact name of it. They were Funkadelic. Funkadelic was more of the, you know, real hardcore style with, like, screaming guitars. And it was more rocking, like, Jimi Hendrix style. And then Parliament was more of the, uh, the soul funk kind of outfit. The way they composed and played their music was a little more dance-oriented, party-oriented. And this comes from their great 1976 album, Mothership Connection. At this point, the, uh, it was a huge conglomerate of musicians and members and stuff, but George Clinton was the visionary, the brains behind it all, and he saw a big concept album about an alien <laughs> invading people, and it was all this big concept work that involved a lot of outer space stuff and a big spaceship that they would come in, come in from and walk out onto the stage with and during their concerts at the time, and it was all a lot of, you know, you know kitschy fun. And so, you know, it's like putting, you know, the average 1970s black person out in, uh, you know, into outer space, this whole drama going on inspired a bit by star trek anyway unfunky ufo is one of the many really good tracks on it and we're going to play it now here's parliament on the sound group podcast
All right, there was the great uh, Parliament with Unfunky UFO from their 1976. Actually, came out the end of 75 album, Mothership Connection. Connection, and that's the end of this particular episode. We got a part two going. I, I'm running it short on time, so let's just say, join me next time when I do part two of the Celestial Songs. One here in the Sound Group podcast. Mm-hmm.